Thank you so much. I'm pretty stoked. My husband Matt is sitting in the front row and he has 20 minutes to listen to me uninterrupted, which is quite exciting. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm going to kick off by being completely upfront. When I was invited to do a preach on a psalm that has meant a lot to me this year, I immediately said yes because I love sharing my heart. But it didn't take long for me to realize that I didn't actually have a psalm. <laughs> um, you see, this hasn't been the easiest year for us. It started off with my mom passing away in January. And then our family has been in what you could call a season of transition, as we have been waiting for God to reveal our next steps in some areas. This waiting has and still is quite challenging. And it has also caused us to examine our hearts. Are we being faithful to God in our thoughts and actions? Do we trust God to provide? Are we finding our identities in Christ or the things of this world? And are we truly and solely satisfied in our relationships with God? To be completely honest once more, the answers to these questions have not always been yes. We have oscillated between faithful, faithlessness and faith. Fear and insecurity, sadness and joy, contentment and restlessness. But coming back to the fact that I didn't have a psalm, the first thing I went to was a song that I've been clinging to over the past few months for assurance. It is a song that our church knows very well, and it's I've witnessed it by Melody Malone from Passion. While every lyric resonates with me deeply, I'll just highlight the chorus, which says, I've witnessed your faithfulness. I've seen you breathe life within. So I'll pour out my praise again. You're worthy. You're worthy of all of it. And this brings me to the title of my talk, which is I've witnessed his faithfulness. The song reminds me that in the pain of this year, I've consistently seen the goodness of God. Though my mom took her last breath here on earth on the 8th of January, in that same moment, her suffering came to an end and she deeply inhaled her first breath in heaven. The first time she could breathe a full breath on her own in a very long time. I witnessed his faithfulness. Though we are still in a season of waiting, it is bringing us closer to God. Despite our moments of faithlessness, it is growing our faith. He will provide and he will deliver on his promises. We are witnessing and will continue to witness his faithfulness. So I used the song as my starting point and simply started paging through the Psalms to find something that aligned with it. And I came across Psalm 9, which says in verses 1 to 2, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. As with I've witnessed it, Psalm 9 starts by recounting the goodness of God, reflecting on his wonderful deeds and praising his name. So positioning myself in a posture of praise, no matter how I feel, has started the healing process. Perhaps you have experienced something similar to this. Taking a deeper dive into the psalm, the first question I asked myself was, what cause did David have to express such gratitude in that moment? So I read on in verses 3 and 4, which say, When my enemies turn back, 
They stumble and perish before your presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. Which brings me to my second point, the purpose of praise. Now, while there are many reasons to praise God, I'm just going to point out two, and that is to celebrate past deliverance and to anticipate future deliverance with confidence. Going to past deliverance, God once had once again given David victory over the enemies that were coming against him and the Israelites. Justice had been served, and the righteous who sought out the goodness of God had triumphed over the wicked who only sought to steal, kill, and destroy. And God is the same God today as he was then. He triumphs over our afflictions. I wonder if you can remember a time where he has triumphed over your afflictions. Going to future deliverance, if we jump to verse 13, we see that David transitions from giving thanks for the victory of the past and appealing to God to continue on this trajectory in the future. He says, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, O you who lift me up from the gates of death. While presently David had experienced deliverance from the affliction of his enemies, he knew that there was more to come. I'd like to suggest that David wasn't appealing to God because God wouldn't do it again, but it was a matter of getting his heart to the point of trusting that he would indeed see God come through. Just like I've witnessed, I've witnessed it repeats multiple times, I'm confident I'll see it again and again. Praise is not a matter of beckoning God to come through. It's a matter of building our faithfulness that he will always come through. After reading this psalm to Matt, he pointed out to me that the Israelites' afflictions were physical battles. They were literally fearing for their and their families' lives and had to continue to stand in faith that God was their protector. While I know that there are many people who face physical persecution for their faith, the obvious realization for me that was, was that we don't. So I asked myself, what afflictions do we face? And aside from knowing that our main cause to praise God is his goodness and his character, what other victories do we have to celebrate? In asking these questions, God dropped three major tactics that the enemy uses to draw us away from God. And this brings us to my third point, the enemy's tactics and God's triumphs. The three tactics are despair, distraction, and dissatisfaction. I'm going to unpack these further, but as I do, I'm also going to share the means God uses to triumph over these methods of attack. So the first tactic is despair. Jesus warned us that we would have troubles in this world. In John 16, verse 33, we read, I have said these things to you that in me you, have made, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he himself experienced affliction when he came into this world. After the death, death of Lazarus, Jesus himself wept. It says in John 11, 33 to 35, when Jesus saw weeping, uh, Mary weeping over Lazarus, his spirit was troubled and he wept. There are many things in this world that can cause us to experience despair. The loss of a loved one, financial crisis, the end of a relationship, family conflict, and the state of our nation, just to name a few. But God triumphs over our despair. 
All we need to do is trust in his word and hope in him because he is our healer. He is our hope. He is our strength. And Jesus promises in John 16 that he has overcome the world and this includes our pain. Isaiah 61 points to this and just to paraphrase it says that Jesus is coming to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives to comfort all who mourn and give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. In our despair, we can trust in the full healing of God. And it's important to mention that this doesn't mean we don't process our pain. Mary felt it, Jesus felt it, David felt it, yet they knew and trusted in the healing of, and wholeness of God. The second tactic of the enemy is distract, distraction. We live in a culture of busyness. These days, that's usually our first answer when people ask us how we're doing, right? It's not just, I'm fine, thank you, anymore. It's, I'm busy, hey? With a frazzled emoji if you're on WhatsApp. Distraction has definitely been something I've battled with this year. Being a mom of two little ones and having a variety of other commitments, I'm so busy thinking about what needs to happen next that I don't bring God into the equation. And what does this lead to? Me trying to do things in my own strength and then not believing that I'm good enough when I don't manage. This is what the enemy wants. But in simply acknowledging this, God has been so good. And you know what he has done? He knows my capacity level. So he has used two means of triumph to help me overcome distraction. Worship and God's word. So for worship, playing songs of praise in my car and my home redirects my heart. Obviously, I've witnessed it has been on repeat for me. But another song by Brandon Lakes, which we sang earlier, which is really cool, called Gratitude, has also moved me to pray and stay motivated to do what he has equipped me to do, especially when it says, so come on my soul, oh don't you get shy on me, lift up your song, because you've got a line inside of those lungs, get up and praise the Lord. The second is God's word. So spending decent periods of time in the word has not been easy this year because naturally grief has reduced my mental and emotional capacity, but God knows. And it's not about counting the minutes we spend in the word, but about choosing to abide in him in our own capacity and allowing the word to minister to us in those moments. So he has led me to cling to a few pieces of scripture that bring my attention to him, one of which is Isaiah 42 verse 6, which says, I'm the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. God is righteous. He has called me to live in his righteousness and not in busyness. And he has not called me to do it alone. He takes me by the hand. He keeps me. He takes you by the hand and he keeps you. So clinging to a few significant songs of worship and pieces of scripture settles my heart, redirects my gaze, shows me what is important, reduces my anxiety and equips me to move forward. God triumphs over distraction. The third tactic is dissatisfaction. This is what the enemy uses to make us become discontent in God. And I find that this affects me in two ways or I become dissatisfied in two ways. And the first is the perception of unanswered prayer. 
I say perception because, because God always does answer our prayers one way or another. But as we've been waiting for God to reveal our next steps, I've often found myself feeling discontent because I feel like he is not answering. And this takes me to one of two places. Firstly, why bother? Many of you will know Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. And his famous saying is, why bother? Why bother praying if God isn't answering? This leads to disillusionment and sometimes even depression. The second is, I'll do it myself. My three-year-old, Olivia, is going through that independence phase, which is challenging. Um, and when I try to help her with things, she'll often protest loudly and say, I'll do it myself. And I have to let her try, provided she's not going to get hurt. And so that she can learn, right? As children of God, I think we often protest like this too. I know I do. Either we don't want his help, or we are so discontent with the fact that he supposedly hasn't come through that we take things into our own hands. And when we realize we can't do it on our own, if we don't turn it to God, we feel despondent and useless. So the perception of unanswered prayers takes us to another two Ds, disillusionment and despondence. The second thing that leads to dissatisfaction is comparison. I'm sure that you are all familiar with this one. I've regularly caught myself looking at other people and immediately uh, sort of wanting what they have and immediately the seed of dissatisfaction has been planted. I wonder if you are comparing yourself to someone right now. What impact is that having on you? For me, I start believing that this career and this amount of money will lead to A, B, and C, and then I'll be happy. But I know that this isn't the case. And even though I know that God is still the one who satisfies, I often find myself in that place. But these things are all finite, the things we saw, seek after. However, God is infinite, and a relationship with Him is all we need to be satisfied. So what is helping me to come against dissatisfaction? Coming back to Psalm 9, David presents two major means of triumph over dissatisfaction, gratitude and remembrance. Starting with gratitude, when we start with praise and thanksgiving, this positions us in the right place to know that we are filled up in Christ. Again, in verses 1 to 2 from Psalm 9, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. This is our first line of defense. It is how we align our hearts with the heart of God. There is a lot to be said for gratitude. And even in tough circumstances, we have a lot to be grateful for. I have constant reminders of the goodness of God in my life. The fact that we got to say goodbye to my mom. An incredible husband who strives daily to ensure our well-being, and our beautiful children. And then when it comes to remembering, we remember that he is just, he is our strength, and he is our hope. When it comes to him being just, verses 7 to 8 in Psalm 9 say, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with uprightness. To prevent dissatisfaction, we need to remember that justice will reign forever, and this gives us hope. We may feel hard done by at times, but our God, our God is just and his purposes will prevail. Then he is our strength. In verse 9 we read, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, 
a stronghold in times of trouble. We can fight against dissatisfaction by trusting that God is our refuge and strength. And then finally, he is our hope. Verses 13 to 14 say, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount your praises. That in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The more we remind ourselves that God is our hope, that he will come through now and in the future, the less dissatisfied we will feel and the more motivated we will be to rejoice. So what I want to leave you with today, which is my final point, just want to encourage you and say, keep your head up. Though you may be afflicted, you have reason to praise. God has overcome the world. I've witnessed it. I know you have witnessed it. We will experience afflictions. The enemy still has an agenda to separate us from God and cause us to be dissatisfied with him. But, <clears throat> there's always a but, God is triumphant. The more we praise, the more we lift up thanksgiving, the more we trust in God to deliver us, the more our eyes and hearts will be open to his faithfulness. 1 Peter 5 verses 6 to 11 sums this up so well. It says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares, God cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who, has a, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I pray that this encourages you, that you experience release from your afflictions, and that you witness the goodness of God staying firm in his strength. Thank you.